0: As Alan said this morning, it's good to see each of you this morning. Good to have each of you here. Those of you who are visiting with us, it is an honor to have you with us. We do encourage you to come back at any time that you have the opportunity. As is evident, Tony is not here today. He's uh, speaking this morning uh, down at the uh, Waco congregation in uh, Georgia. Do you know what the most frightening words An audience can hear when the preacher takes the pulpit the first time. When he says, I can't see the clock from up here. (laughs) But I do want to take this time to uh, thank the eldership for the uh, opportunity of speaking here this morning. You know, we live in a day and an age and a time when all things pertaining to God, all things pertaining to the church, all things pertaining to His Word and to anything religious is not only rejected, but is ridiculed. It's made fun of. Many in the world today will openly question anything that pertains to God and to Scripture. They question His second coming And even within the religious world itself, there have been questions concerning if there will be a final judgment upon the disobedient. A common question that is asked, if you're talking with the world at all, would be, well, you speak so much about God being a God of love. How can a God of love send people to eternal punishment? Now, those that would hold this position and this thought think that their point is very valid. They think it's foolproof. They think and believe that there is no future judgment. And if there is no future judgment, then they can go on living and doing anything that they choose. This morning, we're going to look at what one gospel writer has to say concerning this very question. Concerning Christ's second coming and the judgment that is to follow. If you haven't already, be turning in your Bibles to the book of Second Peter. We're going to be looking at the second chapter of 2 Peter. Second chapter of 2 Peter. While you're turning there, we'll take a moment to think about Peter. I love to study and read the words of Peter. He is such an intriguing and interesting character. You know, Peter and the apostles actually lived, walked, and listened to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They had that nearness. They had so much opportunity. And we remember Peter, whenever the opportunity was there, he was always the brash one. He was always the bold one. He was always the one who stood up first. And he would tell you what he thought or what he felt. He would tell you what he was going to do. It was about Peter. But it's interesting. If you turn the pages of Scripture, and after the church is established, it's no longer about Peter. It's about God. When you read Peter's writing, it's all about God. And what God can do. As Herb read in our scripture this morning, just turn one, one page over to the third chapter of Second Peter. Let, let's look at those words again. Peter wrote, knowing in verse 3 of the third chapter, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, the last days is the last dispensation. That's the period of time when we're living on, from the cross forward. There shall come in those last days scoffers. Walking after their own lust, and saying, "Where is the promise of his coming?" For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter had those in his day. If that not, they were already there. They were going to be coming. Peter said, "Same as we have today. Those that ridicule, those that scoff, those that reject the idea of a second coming and the judgment to come." And they look at their proof, they said they say, "Well w- w- what had happened? Look from the very beginning of time unto time now, nothing's happened, there's no judgment, there's no second coming. So to help us understand, let's look at Peter's writings and see what Peter says about this, Going back to chapter two now, beginning with verse one of chapter two, second Peter, Peter says. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable, that's destructive, heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Peter, as he begins his thought here, he says, let's go back and look at the Old Testament. Let's go back and look at the false teachers in that day. And we know there were. There were false teachers, false prophets. And God had sent the true prophets to Israel to bring the people back because they had begun to leave Him and follow after false gods, the pagan religions of the people around them. Jeremiah wrote in his writing, said that the the prophets declared peace, peace, when there was no peace. We're not talking about peace among mankind, we're talking about peace between God and man. Now, there wasn't any because the people had left God to follow at the false gods. But these false prophets said, You got peace, you got peace. But Jeremiah said, No, they're wrong. Micah wrote in his writings that the priests teach for for hire, that is, they can be bribed. He said the prophets foretell for money. If you would just pay them enough, they would say anything that you want to hear. The false teachers, the false prophets of that day. And Peter says, they're still mamas. Just like they were among the Old Testament people of God of old. Peter says, they're among you, false teachers. We're talking about the church here. So they come in privily. That word privily means secretly. They have an agenda. But it's not that they come in and they announce it where everyone would know it. No, they bring it in secretly. They hide their false teaching in so many words of truth that it's hard to detect it. And this was Satan's idea from the very beginning. Because that's how he dealt with mankind. We know that when God created this earth and he created the paradise and he placed man in it, God told mankind that you can eat of any of the fruit of any of the trees except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. But we know Satan came to Eve and tempted her. And he just changed one word. One word. Of what God said. The truth was still there. But he changed it. And added one word. He said you shall not surely die. And Eve was tempted. Took of the fruit and gave it unto Adam. They come in privily. Secretly. Peter said. And false teaching does that. It comes in so subtly. And they couch it among words of truth. Or they will take the Scripture and they'll take it out of context. And they'll rest it and change it to fit their agendas, their thoughts, what they're trying to teach. And if we do not know God's Word, if we do not know truth from error, we're not going to catch that. That's why it's so important upon us to read God's Word, study God's Word, and to know God's Word. Well, we'll recognize false teaching. Peter says they bring in these heresies. Heresies is teaching that's outside of a biblical truth. That's what false teachers do. They teach things that are untrue. Peter said these false teachings are destructive. They can cause damage. They can cause harm to the church and to the Christians that believe it and fall for it. He said some of their false teaching even denies the Savior that bought them. Even denies the truth of Jesus Christ dying upon that cross, shedding His blood for the sins of mankind. Many in the religious world, down through the centuries, even up until today, deny certain aspects of Christ's divinity. They deny the virgin birth. They deny that he had performed miracles. They deny that he was divine. Oh, they'll say he was a good man, but he wasn't divine. And those that do say he's divine, but he's not equal with God. Peter says, those that teach such heresies, such false teaching, bring upon themselves swift destruction. This word swift doesn't mean now, what it means is suddenly, it means unexpectedly. That's how the destruction will come upon these false teachers. Verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. That word pernicious means lascivious. It means licentious. It means sensual. Peter said many will follow their false teaching, their sensual, lascivious teaching. Why? Because it's popular. Because what they teach and what they preach is attractive to mankind. Paul said that the day will come when many will depart from the truth. They will not want sound doctrine, but... What they want is to have their ears tickled by some new or strange teaching. And that's what false teachers do. What they would do would be to appeal to the sensual of man, to the flesh of man, to the pampering of the individual. We know in the Old Testament, people hadn't changed. It was the same way. The Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel... They left God for the false gods. Well, why would one leave the true God for a false God? The false gods, in their worship, in their pagan religion, they had temple prostitutes. The people reasoned, I'm still being religious, so why shouldn't I? And they did. They followed after it because the religion appealed to their fleshly lust. Today, so much in the teaching and the preaching that we see is based upon pampering the hearer, satisfying the wants and the needs of those who would come. Congregations are so concerned with noses and nickels. Noses, the attendance, nickels, the contribution. And they will do anything to keep the people there, to make them comfortable, to satisfy them. Uh, they put in big screens in their churches. And we can't have those pews. Those pews are way too hard. We want everybody to have lounge chairs to sit in. And we want you to, to feel good. We want you to go away happy. We want you to go away satisfied. We want you to feel good about yourself. <clears throat> Friends, it should never be that one leaves a church feeling good about their sins. Is that what worship is? I think we know it's not. It's not about us. It's not about our comfort. We gather and we come today on this day to worship our God. We honor Him. Our service, our devotion is to Him. It's not about how comfortable we are. It's about the measure of our heart and our service and our attitude and our love as we come before the throne of God. Now, Peter said, many are going to believe these false teachers and their followers. And he said, because of this, the way of truth, the church would be evil spoken of. Because of what they do and what they say often brings harm to the church, to the people, to the community. All because the church stands up for what is right. Or if they do believe this and follow them, bring shame upon the church for not standing upon the truth. Verse 3, And through covetousness, Shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not? This is the motivation. You know, we often think, well, why would one be a false teacher? Why would one advocate and preach something that is not true? The motivation, greed, material gain, wealth. False teachers are not concerned with what is true. They're concerned with what is popular. What can bring in the money because it is popular? All you've got to do is leave here today, turn on your TV set, and look at the televangelist on TV. Before every program is ended, there will be an appeal for money. They will have their hand out inviting and asking you, to send your money in. Preaching is sometimes reduced to the preacher having to decide whether he's going to preach the truth or whether he's going to keep his job. There are churches in the Brotherhood who puts strings upon what the preacher can teach. They tie his hands verbally on what he can preach. They'll say, you can preach anything you want to except this, 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 and this. You can't preach about that. Shame on elderships and congregations who make the preacher have to decide whether he's going to keep his job or whether he's going to proclaim the truth of God's Word. He said these false teachers, they come with you with feigned words. This word feigned means pretend. Oh, they're not sincere. They're not interested in you. They don't care about you. They just want to use you. Because that's what Peter says. He said they make merchandise of you. They use you for their own needs. For their own purposes. Now, if they cared about you, do you know what they would do? They'd tell you the truth. That's what people who love you do. They tell you the truth. That's one thing I respect about Bibles and the eldership and the preacher we have here. The truth is proclaimed from the pulpit here at Bibles. May it ever be so. Now, their, their sentence, Peter said here in, in verse 3, their, their, their judgment, their condemnation, it, it's already been determined. It's already been established by God in the past. Those who reject Him, those who are false teachers, false prophets, false preachers, they're going to receive their punishment. God has not changed His mind. God has not changed how He would deal with mankind. The the righteous, the obedient, the faithful will be given glories by God. And those who are disbelieving, Dis, uh, disobedient, uh, those who reject God, they're going to be punished. God has not changed how He feels about this. Judgment will come. Just because it has not come yet does not mean that it's not coming. Verse 4. Peter w- w- will now give three historical e- examples of God's judgment, said. You say God's judgment's not going to come. Let me give you three examples of God's judgment that did come upon mankind to show that God will hold man accountable and that He will suffer the wrath of God's punishment. Look what He says in verse four: For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. First example he gives is the angels that sinned. Well, very little is known about the angels that sinned. The the scriptures are somewhat silent on this. But it seems seems that there were some angels who, who rebelled, who were disobedient to God. This rebellion was led by Satan among the angels, and God had prepared a place for them, Scripture tells us, for the devil and his angels. That place is called hell. It is reserved for them after the judgment where they will spend eternity. Sadly also, the disobedient, the unfaithful, those who reject God's Word, they will also be spending an eternity in that same place. Verse 5, he gives us a second example of God's judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter refers to, to the great flood that's recorded in Genesis, the sixth chapter, when only eight people were saved Noah, his wife, His three sons and their wives. That's all. Out of all the population on the earth was was saved. Scripture tells us at that time, the, the Lord saw the wickedness of man. And that it was great. And that the thoughts of the heart of man was on evil continually. Get what he said there. The thoughts of man was on evil continually. You know, we've all come across people telling us, oh, this is the worst days it's ever been. People are awful right now. There's so much evil. There's so much badness in the world. No, no. Doesn't compare with this. In that day, in that time, the Scripture tells us, everyone, the thoughts of man's heart was on evil continually. Can you imagine living among people like that? No one you could trust. No one you could believe. No one you could turn your back on. Everyone's thoughts and hearts was devoted to evil. So God determined He would bring punishment upon the world. He told Noah to build an ark. The world would be destroyed. Salvation would be within that ark. During the time that Noah and his sons labored upon that ark... Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached to the people. Salvation would be within that ark. None obeyed. None listened. Only Noah and his family, eight souls, were saved. Verse 6, the third example. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those... That after should live ungodly. Peter uses the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. To show that God's judgment will come upon the wicked. And it did come. Upon those two cities. We know that the cries of those cities reached God. As God was aware of what was happening within those cities. God told Abraham what he was going to do. Remember, Abraham tried to bargain God down. If he could just find ten righteous souls, he would spare the city. Could not. And so we know what happened. God's judgment brought destruction upon those cities because of their wickedness, the blatant, public, defiant, evil sin of homosexuality. Now today... Those in the homosexual community will try to tell you uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of homosexuality. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because they were unfriendly. That's the argument you get. They were destroyed because of the evil, the sin of homosexuality within that world. Peter says that they would be an example to the ungodly. We need to look to that. That's telling us God's destruction will come upon those who are not faithful to Him. Today, in our very land, we witness evil seemingly triumph in the court system. Because the courts of our land have gave victory after victory to those things that are contradictory to God's laws. We see abortion being made legal. We see homosexuality, same-sex marriage being made legal. But just because the courts say it's legal, that does not mean it's moral. That does not mean it's right. And the the ungodly have no reason to, to think that these victories mean that they can escape the very judgment. That God will bring upon them. It is coming. And it is certain. And that's what Peter is telling us here. Verse 7. And delivered just Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Peter wants us to know. That even though Lot lived in the city of Sodom. Even though Lot saw what was going on there. Whatever judgment God determined to bring up on that city, God will preserve and care for the righteous. And He gives us Lot as an example here. Lot was, Peter said, he, he was vexed, he was distressed living in that city and seeing what was going on all around him. The, the unnatural, uh, open, shameless. Abomination, and he was distressed at seeing it. The question for us today, as we look at the homosexuality, the abortion, uh, all the evil around us, are we distressed? Does that bother us? You know, we turn on the TV, and no matter what kind of program you turn on, they want to ram the agenda of homosexuality down your throat. They want to make it seem, oh, it's so common, everybody does it. Homosexuality only affects 6 to 8% of the population. But they, they, they don't want you to believe that. They want you to think, oh, it's common, everybody. So we, we, we see that. And if we're not careful, we become so, so callous, so indifferent to what is truth and right. Because we see so much. And we see it so often. That we're no longer bothered about it. That we're no longer concerned with the evils and the sins around us. Lot was, he says in verse 8, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. This explains how and why Lot was distressed. Why he was vexed. He said, seeing and hearing. C- can you imagine that? You're living in a city. And-, and everywhere you see, you have open, blatant displays of homosexuality. Men with men, women with women, everywhere. Everywhere you look. That would be distressing. <clears throat> Scripture says he was vexed. We don't use that word much. That word vexed means troubled, upset, bothered, disturbed, distressed, tormented. Lot well, was vexed. Is that us? Do we get vexed when we see what's going on around us? Uh, the same sex marriage, people living together, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, all that we see going on within the world. Peter said uh, that they're unlawful in what they did. That word unlawful means lawless. That is, it's against God's laws, what they were doing. Uh, Not man's laws. What's going on today is is, is not against man's laws. Same-sex marriage is fine in the eyes of the world. Scripture tells us again and again it's not fine with God. And it shouldn't be fine with us. It should vex us. It bothers me that the highest court in our land, the Supreme Court, has legalized sodomy. That vexes me. That bothers me. We need to know and beware as Christians. And as a church, it's only just begun. The homosexual agenda is against God. It's against the church. It's against God's word. And it's only beginning. And it's going to get worse. It already has in other countries. In Canada, when you preach against homosexuality, that's a hate crime. Places in Europe, it's the same way. Can't talk about it. Can't preach about it. It's one of those things you just shut up and don't do anything about. It. If you do, you're arrested. Put in jail. We ready for that? It's probably coming. Or, or are the churches ready? When a same-sex couple comes to our eldership and says, we want to be married in your church here. And our eldership tells them, no, not going to happen. Are we ready for the lawsuit? Because it's coming. We need to be aware. Times are changing. They're winning the court battles. They're winning the battles, but they will never win the war. God will win that in the end. But we need to be aware. Verse 9 as we end up our lesson. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation. That's trials. And to reserve, that's keep, the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. The final and great point that Peter wants to make here. The righteous will be delivered. The righteous will be preserved by God. And there will come a time. When Christ will return. And after that will be the judgment. Those who would scoff at it and say it's not coming. Those who would say in, in, in Peter's day that things are just as they were from the beginning of the world. Peter answers that in the third chapter. And he gives us a wonderful lesson of why God's judgment has not come yet. He says in verse 9 of the third chapter of Second Peter that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But His longsuffering does for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't God brought His judgment yet? Because God still loves mankind and wants mankind to repent. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. We see the love of God, which is always there. In these trying days that lie ahead of us as Christians, we need to walk in faith, never doubting, never wavering. We need to face each day knowing and knowing with all of our heart that God cares about us, that God loves us, that God will hold us and keep us because we are His. Realize that. Take it home with you. You are a child of the King. You are a child of God. You're part of this family. You're loved and cared for by Him. That's a beautiful and wonderful thing to be. A child of God. In a world that is changing so fast, that's the comfort. That's the rock that we hold to we're child of the King. This morning, are you his? Do you belong to God? Have you given His life your life to Him? Have you accepted Christ? Obeyed His message through your faith, your belief in His Word? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins and have your sins washed away? And are you continuing to walk a faithful life in service unto Him? If you need to serve God and obey Him this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?